0: Philip K. Dick, or PKD, is one of the most prolific science fiction writers of our time. Even if you aren't familiar with him, you're likely familiar with his work, Minority Report. Wait, wait, wait.
1: Look at me. Positive for Howard Marks. I'm placing you under arrest for the
0: future murder of Sarah Marks and Donald Duman. that was take place today, April 22nd. It's 0800 hours and four minutes. No. Total recall. They erased your identity and implanted a new one. If
2: I'm
3: not me, who the hell am I?
0: And do androids dream of electric sheep, which became the classic film, of course, Blade Runner.
2: I met her at the Terrell Corporation. You know, the big boys in genetic engineering. They manufacture humans. Hell, they're so human, you can't tell them from the real thing. And that's a problem, a big problem.
0: His novels tackle a broad swath of complex issues from political, social, and philosophical theories, altered states of consciousness, and the true meaning of personal identity. His books are effortlessly weird while poignant, and one of his earlier novels, Time Out of Joint, is no exception. It explores the possibility of constructed realities— and how we can lose ourselves in them.
2: It's too much work to remember what's going on outside of the headset. You're being overstimulated. Your eyes, you have stuff to look at, you have audio being fed into your ears, and so- You can't check your phone. You can't check your phone, and and what's the point of remembering, like, I'm in a room playing this headset.
0: This is Device, your monthly book club with a science-based twist. And I'm your host, Emily T. Griffiths. Stay with us. Time Out of Joint by Philip K. Dick starts when the book was published, in 1959. P.K.D. invites the reader to put on their rose-colored glasses and imagine an idealistic, simpler time.
1: It's science this country needs, not novels.
0: America has lived through World War II and contributed to an era of unbridled technological optimism our potential seemingly endless. In a small, quaint town of unknown name or state, Raggle Gum is a bachelor in his mid-40s. What? Yes. He lives with his sister, Margot. Uh-huh. And her husband, Vic. What rubbish. Margot happily takes care of their home, their son, Sammy, and is invested in the local social issues, Vic, is a good husband and the local grocer. Raggle has a more uh, unconventional job. How far along are you? He enters a daily newspaper competition where he picks the right square from a grid of 1,208. He plays every day and, in two and a half years, has only been wrong eight times. This has made him a local celebrity and provides him with an ample income. Yet, the stress of being constantly right is taking its toll on him. Drop out for a few days. Rest. You've been going at it too hard.
1: If I drop out, I'd have to drop back a flock of notches. I'd lose everything I've won since January 15th.
0: And so, he keeps at it. Margot looks after her comically disheveled brother. And Raggle helps her son, Sammy, build a little crystal radio. Add a catchy tune, and this story could be lifted from a black-and-white sitcom. This simple suburban setup is a classic theme for PKD. Because, you know, if something is that easy, then it just can't be right. The reader follows Raggle, Vic, and Margot through their lives, switching narratives. Slowly, we are cued in that all three wonder if things are as they should be. What's wrong? Where have I been that I don't remember? It's not just that they have been where they don't remember. It's things, too. On his person, Raggle keeps a small box filled with scraps of paper. They are printed with descriptive nouns.
1: Soft drink stand, door. Things. Factory building, highway, drinking fountain, bowl of flowers.
0: Things that used to be. Not again.
1: It's happening to me again.
0: Things Raggle has watched fall into bits before him and disappear.
1: Nothing happened. No sound anywhere. Kids, cars, the wind. It all shut off.
0: Only these scraps of paper are left after things disappear before Raggle's eyes. He nonchalantly collects these scraps like tokens, keeping count. With Margot and Vic. Raggle comes across a magazine with the feature article about Marilyn Monroe in her prime, pages with pictures about her glamorous, well-known life. However, they're confused. You see, they have never heard of Marilyn Monroe. Do you think we're being duped?
1: What a strange thing to say. What do you mean by that?
2: I, I don't know. You mean somebody made her up?
0: They argue over the particulars, but they agree on the result something isn't right. While they question their reality, Sammy gets his little crystal radio working. He runs the antenna from the top of the house, against his mother's wishes, to improve his signal. He goes to these lengths because he lives in a home that does not own a radio. You see, in this reality, televisions have made radios obsolete, and no one really bothers to own one. Radios were only used during wars. Now working, Sammy tunes his radio to catch the enemy.
2: CQ, calling CQ. This is W3840Y, calling CQ.
0: And kept tuning.
2: It's in everything, even the chocolate ones.
0: And tuning.
2: Practically break your front teeth when you... Until at 336 exactly. I'll track it for you.
0: Sammy kept listening, as it was, after all. Nearly 336.
1: You got that? Northeast.
0: And then
4: Did you get it?
0: Sammy felt his world shudder at the designated time. He then got an adult. Soon, Sammy is sitting with Margo, Vic, and Raggle with his radio. Raggle is taking detailed, strategic notes as he has come to suspect that the world has been created around him.
1: I must be crazy, imagining that I am the center of a vast effort by millions of men and women involving billions of dollars and infinite work. A universe revolving around me. But then... Down there, yes. You're looking down at Raggle Gum himself. Okay, we have you.
0: Taking off the headphones, Raggle says to Sammy, You listen for a while. And Raggle heads out the door. And friends, this leads to a cryptic chase. We, the reader, know more than Raggle does, but not much more. I'm not going to spoil the details of this chase. It's a far better read late at night when you can't sleep and are perhaps questioning your own identity. But we do have to talk about one of the major reveals. At the end of his first escape attempt, Regal finds a pile of newspapers and magazines. He reads the date.
1: May 10th, 1997. And the headline.
2: Venusian ore deposits, object of dispute.
1: Litigation in the International System of Courts Concerning the Ownership of Property on Venus?
0: Raggle discovers that he is not living in idealistic 1959, but rather in the late 1990s, nearly 40 years later. And in this new reality, interplanetary travel is common enough that multiple countries are actually fighting about it. Now. We had achieved some amazing things by 1998. We had successfully landed an operational rover on Mars and launched the first multinational space station. Those are huge achievements, but they aren't mining planets for resources. 60 years later, and we're still nowhere close. Interplanetary travel isn't supposed to be some mind-blowing concept in this book. It's a politics-as-usual depiction of our future. Why did PKD think that we were heading in that direction?
3: What kind of research is going on today? Where will this take us 10 or 15 years from now?
0: Because that's where America thought we were heading, including scientists at NASA, at the top of their fields. More on that after the break.
2: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Device, and I am your host, Emily T. Griffiths. Today, we're discussing Time Out of Joint by Philip K. Dick, or PKD. In this 1959 novel, PKD predicts that in 40 years' time, humans won't be confined to our home planet.
1: Our advanced research and technology program is already studying the problems of space and the exploration of the planets, such as Mars and Jupiter.
0: That's from a video produced by NASA in the late 1950s, preserved by the San Diego Air and Space Museum. As a nod to H.G. Wells, it's titled The Shape of Things to Come. In this video, we learn about the advanced research that NASA was working on to propel Americans into space.
1: Let's look at it this way. We in advanced research are laying the technological foundation for the future 10, 15, or even 20 years from now.
0: Raggle questions his sanity when he discovers that the town and everyone he knows has been living in a simulated reality. Believing it's 1959, when it's actually the late 1990s. In those 40 years, mankind has colonized the moon and nearby planets. And predictably, countries are arguing over what belongs to who. In November of 2018, the NASA InSight lander touched down on the surface of Mars to further study the red planet. This was the first interplanetary mission to launch from the U.S. West Coast. InSight is investigating below the surface of Mars. It's looking at the size and composition of Mars's metallic core. It's monitoring the seismic activity between that core and the crust and the mantle. And currently, it's navigating a drill to 16 feet deep, the furthest we've ever dug, to see how much heat is escaping Mars. As amazing as this achievement is, the early NASA scientists thought we would have been here by now — decades ago, even. In July of 1958, when PKD was writing this novel and when NASA was created, the agency released a list of recommended milestones for the U.S. spaceflight program, like a permanent moon base by 1974 and manned missions to multiple other planets by 1980. Lofty goals, right? But America was experiencing the post-World War II boom, especially in California, where PKD was living at the time. The federal government poured money into military and industrial facilities to encourage growth. Hollywood became a global cultural mecca. California's population quadrupled as new cities sprouted from rural communities. Anything seemed possible. Building a spa on Venus for fat cat investors by 1998 was like child's play.
3: A continuing effort is being made.
0: NASA had these high-reaching goals.
3: Therefore, to design new circuits, develop new components.
0: Which have had broad applications.
3: Imagine a computer now filling a room as big as a two-car garage, reduced with a series of chips like these to fit in the drawer of an office desk.
0: Or in your pocket. Electronics originally designated to enhance space travel are now powering the things that we take for granted. Interplanetary travel didn't play out as expected, but the tech has taken us so many other places.
4: It's, it's a little weird because it was, you know, the, the military and NASA who did a lot of the early work on VR.
0: Places we couldn't have predicted.
4: I'm E McNeil. I'm a solo indie game developer working on VR stuff here in San Diego.
0: Virtual reality, or VR is a fully immersive computer simulation. Though it has its roots with NASA, it's a relatively young field, and it's mostly being developed for entertainment, like games.
4: Um, I've released a bunch of VR games, mostly smallish strategy games on the Oculus Rift and some of the early VR headsets.
0: He sat down with us to talk about the past, present, and future of VR, a real-world cousin to the fictional simulated reality world that Raggle, Margo, and Vic were living in. And by us, I mean me and my co-producer.
2: Oh, my name is Derek Acosta. I'm a producer on the device podcast. But in addition to that, I run a YouTube channel about video games and gaming called Mega64. So I've experienced VR in my other job, in my other life. Uh, I've kind of seen the development over the past couple of years, and I've had a chance to experience it, too.
0: Derek had some great questions about the current state and future of VR. But first, let's revisit the past.
2: My understanding is that
4: some of the earliest research was done by NASA and some of the big companies out there, and that was very rudimentary compared to what we have now.
0: This is true. The U.S. government space agency has been developing and using VR technology since the 1980s. But there were limitations. For example, the screens needed to be very lightweight. Without lightweight screens?
4: You're going to be basically strapping an entire CRT television to somebody's face and hoping for them to look around. It doesn't work very well. Um, They also had a problem with just uh, hardware that was powerful enough to run a fast experience that could animate smoothly and avoid getting people nauseous. And so they were working with much lower frame rates than is necessary for people to be comfortable. But a lot of VR went dormant for a long time. It, It wasn't a thing for a good while. And it it kind of came back accidentally when somebody realized that we had solved a lot of the problems with VR um, in the mobile phone industry.
0: You may have heard that there's more processing power in your smartphone than NASA had available for their Apollo missions. That is 100% true. NASA employees were using the IBM System 360 Model 75S computer. Your phone is at least 120 million times faster, and that's just the basic processing technology inside. Your phone or tablet also has advanced motion tracking technology.
4: So the, the first Oculus Rift basically just borrowed a screen from a small tablet and uh, used the simple accelerometers and gyroscopes that they had built for phones and used that to create the first you know, Oculus Rift headset.
0: Today, VR is being developed for the at-home consumer, as is augmented reality in games like Pokemon Go, we are creating worlds that we can willfully get lost in.
2: And I think with VR also, the experiences you receive in VR are more uh, visceral. They affect you more. It's almost like when you have a dream and you argue with somebody in a dream and then you wake up and you're still mad at that person. VR is like being in a dream sometimes. You, it's completely immersive.
4: Well, the buzzword for that feeling of really being there, of subconsciously forgetting on some deep level, even if you know consciously, you know, that you're in a virtual space, is called presence. The the very first time that I experienced presence was being shown an early hardware demo of what is now the Oculus Rift. And it was the first time they had positional tracking, and for some reason, that's what made my, you know, the the system click with my brain, where I could move my head around. And it showed this short demo where you were in like a boiler room or something in like a submarine. And it was just a tiny room full of, you know, machines and hallway leading out of it. And I walked around a little bit and really just had this instinct, this feeling that I could walk down the hallway. And I, I, re- I like, I wanted to, I had to at a higher conscious level, stop myself from walking down the hallway, you know, into the wall, the real world wall. Um, You know, it's hard to describe that in words. It's hard to communicate what happened. I had the same
2: experience. Yeah,
4: it's something like, you know, deep in the circuitry of your brain,
2: being surprised, being, you know, being fooled. There's people listening, I'm sure, who are like, you guys, get over it. (laughs) Realize that you're in a video game. But I agree with E. It's not something you purposely forget that you're in this game. It just happens. You actually, you remember that you're in a game is kind of the best way to describe
0: it. While he didn't have a buzzword for it, Philip K. Dick also talks about presence in Time Out of Joint. Remember those little slips of paper Rigel keeps in a box? He shows them to his co-conspirators.
1: What's this? Reality. I give you the real.
0: Raggle, Vic, and Margot all experience presence living in the idealistic 1959. When they focus, they can see past what has been constructed for them.
2: The other night, coming home on the bus, I got to look at how things really are. I saw through the illusion.
0: Those slips of paper, a magazine featuring Marilyn Monroe, it forces their subconscious to remember that they are, effectively, in a game.
2: I had an experience where uh, I was in a VR demonstration where they had a miniature city. And I could look into it. And at first, it kind of looked like a toy or maybe a model. But then as I leaned in close, I could see little people in there walking around, doing things. Uh, And it just made me feel so big. And, you know, I really wanted to, like, shove my face down to the street and, like, look in the windows and see what they were doing. It was really amazing.
0: Imagine looking down into that little city and seeing Raggle Gum helping his nephew with a crystal radio in VR right now you can take the data being sent back from any rover on Mars or the moon and create an immersive experience. And if planetary travel isn't your thing, you can watch a concert or go to a sports game.
2: I agree. On a personal level, I'm more excited to play cool video games and explore strange worlds. But yeah, I think for just the average Joe who doesn't care about visiting the world of Avatar, you know, (laughs) but just, hey, he can be on the 50-yard line at the Super Bowl you know, put that VR headset, you're in the stadium. I think that's going to appeal to a broad um, portion of the public.
0: There are so many different places we can go. Shooting for the stars is only the beginning. However,
4: I also wanted to to mention one more thing, you know, before we close off.
0: One last thing from E. McNeil.
4: Was a a quote that I saw from Bill Gates from some time ago, that we tend to overestimate the change that will occur in two years and underestimate the change that will occur in 10 years.
3: What kind of research is going on today? Where will this take us 10 or 15 years from now?
0: NASA had some outlandish predictions at the beginning of space travel. And they missed some of the amazing things that we're doing today. And
4: I feel like that may be true in this case of VR, where we can see all these cool things that might happen with VR. but. In the next couple of years, I don't know if it's going to get good enough that it's going to replace everything, that it's going to become this all-inclusive ultimate platform or anything like that. I think it's going to be a future, but not the future. Um, once you get far enough in the future, I almost don't want to speculate because you know it's just so hard to tell. There's so many different ways that the future could branch out. But I think that the distance we could travel technologically is a lot, you know, a lot greater than a lot of people imagine.
0: In other words, while we reach for the stars. It's important to stay grounded. Device is co-produced by myself and Derek Acosta. It is recorded at KPBS and Mega64 Studios in San Diego, California. John Wanzer is our audio engineer with music by The Bicycats. Voice actors for this episode include Mark Atkinson, Sean Catfield, Allison Wanzer, Johnny Weiss, Brian Abu Shakra and John Wanzer. At KPBS, Emily Jankowski is technical director. Kinsey Morlin is podcast coordinator. Lisa Jane Morsett is operations manager, and John Decker is director of programming. You can get our monthly episodes of Device on your preferred podcast app. This episode includes clips from NASA's The Shape of Things to Come via the San Diego Air and Space Museum. Anyone can dive into the museum's archives, and a lot of the videos are available on the museum's YouTube channel. The interview with E. McNeil, as always, is available to download via device interviews. E, Derek, and I got into the weeds about gaming and VR.
4: Well, I, I mean, from a, uh, from a game designer's perspective. Okay, And yeah. I hope yes. that's not like an insufferable way to start a sentence. No, this is, <laughs> I want to hear this perspective. As the game guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: it is just an hour of us nerding out, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Next and last episode of the season, holy moly. Last, but absolutely not least, is Cannery Row by John Steinbeck. So get reading. Device is made possible by the KPBS Explore program because science is at the heart of every exploration and the best stories take us somewhere worth going. Thanks for listening.